folks welcome back to another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i'm your host stephen kerr aka the ginger we're back for another week recording here on holiday monday as it's a busy week for most of you for fantasy football and all of your drafts tomorrow night tuesday september 7th seem to be the uh overwhelming choice for fantasy football drafts in terms of uh, the dates and times that pick. So we're going to try to get this in your hands. We've got a lot to cover tonight, folks. We've got a great guest on, James Yarko, deputy editor of Bucks Nation, host of the Locks, Locked on Bucks podcast. We talked to him, uh, Dutch and I, a few nights before the Super Bowl when the Bucks took it down against those Kansas City Chiefs. So um, we've got James on the show coming up soon here. Talking about Tom Brady and those Tampa Bay Bucks and their return to try to uh, have a title defense for the Super Bowl. So, um, in terms of uh, the show moving forward from there, we're going to cover the NFC South. We're going to cover the AFC North. We're going to get into some betting and gambling lines as well. We've got a host on next week's episode talking all about um, season-long bets, weekly spreads, and we're going to do that on a week-by-week basis here throughout the course of the season. And we've got a few fantasy football tips to end it off for your drafts tomorrow if you haven't uh, already done so. And then after break, as we always do, we'll get into the world of golf Patrick Cantley, the Solheim Cup, upcoming Ryder Cup, and that will end us off for this week's episode. So let's get into our NFC South review because we didn't have any football. It was a little bit of a change in uh, the NFL schedule here in 2021. So uh, we didn't learn too much other than how excited we are. We're T minus 72 hours here from NFL kickoff. Tampa Bay Bucks. Dallas Cowboys. Let's learn more about those Bucks, and we'll kick it over to our chat with James Yarko. Listeners, let's give a Triple G welcome to Deputy Editor of Bucks Nation, host of the Locked On Podcast, James Yarko. James, you on the uh, line with us there? Yes, sir. Amazing. Well, uh, last time we had you on here, it was uh, right before the Super Bowl victory by those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and um, you were giving us a breakdown of what you thought was going to happen, and you were absolutely spot on. So, since then, how uh, how have things been? Uh, I mean, really, it's it's been a whirlwind of excitement because yeah, this is the the first team in in forty fifty some years to bring back every starter from a Super Bowl, and you know they guys took less pay, and and of course the cap restrictions implemented by the nfl and and with covid and everything you with the cap being lower that allowed some guys to say you know what i'll take less money i'll take a one-year deal and i'm going to come back and i'm going to play with tom and and all these other guys and and we're going to try to win another championship so it's actually been probably the most boring offseason i've covered for the buccaneers since i started doing this almost 10 years ago yeah, and uh, Bruce Arians was making a hard push to not let anybody go. He was 
almost bullying them into uh, into staying. So it was great to see 22 coming back. James, um, me being a, a, a diehard Bills fan and, and coming from the AFC East, before Tom made the jump down to Tampa, we always used to hear, you know, this is the year. This is the year that he's going to take a step back. And this is the year where, you know, he's going to lose some velocity on the ball. Is there any chance of that? Or is there any talk or any fear of that uh, inside the building in Tampa or with the Tampa Bay fan base that, you know, at 44 uh, years old, is this the year or is he just going to keep on rolling here? No, I, I don't think this is the year at all. If we were going to see some sort of drop off, I think we would have seen it last year. You had you had him changing offenses for the first time in his career after playing for 20 years in in the same system and in, in, in the same building. You had an offseason where you didn't get a, a true uh you know set of offseason workouts with OTAs and with training camp and there was no preseason and then come to find out he did it all on a torn MCL. Like all year long he had a torn MCL and he still managed to go out there and throw the second most touchdowns of his career in, in a season and lead this team to eight consecutive victories and and a Super Bowl. So having watched him in practice, having watched, you know, limited preseason action, he's got every bit as much zip on the ball as he always has uh and he's he looks you know, just as good as, as he's ever been. One thing Tampa's done nicely too is surround him with, uh, with the big men up front. And, and I always pound the table. Our listeners know for, you know, the big uglies on the offensive and defensive line. Is this the best offensive line in football with, you know, bookend tackles and Smith and Worf's uh, uh, on the right and left side. And then a little bit of nastiness inside with Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen. Is this the best offensive line we see in the NFL? I'm not going to go so far as to say that they're the best in the NFL. And in fact, Buccaneers fans will point you into the direction of the offensive line as being the biggest weakness. And that's because of some some unwarranted hatred towards Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith struggled a lot early in his career, but last year he seemed to really be able to get it together. And and they were able to withstand some injuries. Ali Marpet missed some games early in the year. They shifted uh Ryan Jensen over to guard they brought in AQ Shipley to start at center he suffers a career ending injury Marpet comes back well then they're starting right guard Alex Kappa he suffers a, a broken ankle in the playoffs and you have Aaron Stinney step in and and be able to help that offensive line get them to a Super Bowl championship but as far as being the best in the NFL I don't think they've quite earned that accolade they're one of the better ones I would certainly say they're top 10, you know, they're top third in the league, but you might be hard pressed to even squeeze them into the top five. Yeah. There's some good ones out there for sure. No doubt. Um, what's the next evolution for this bucks offense? You mentioned, you know, Tom coming in last year and not having a, a full acclimation period to, to get used to the offense and, and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and, and Harold Goodwin on that, that run game side. What's the, the next evolution here? Is it, a little bit of sprinkle more of that short passing game. Is it more what we saw in the playoffs with using that run game and playoff Lenny and, and some of the backs that they have in the backfield there? What do you think is, is that next evolution this year for the 2021 bucks? Really? I think the next evolution stems from Antonio Brown. And, you know, that's a guy that has gotten some well-deserved criticism, uh, you know, from media, from social media, uh, you know, for some of the antics that that we saw play out, 
but he comes in halfway through the year last year. He's learning the offense on the fly. Now he's had the full offseason. He understands the offense. He's still one of the most elite route runners that we've ever seen in the NFL. And having him on the field is going to, you know, having him on the field understanding everything uh, is going to open a lot of things up. What are what are defenses supposed to do? Do you double Mike Evans and let Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown be one-on-one? Are you going to double Antonio Brown? And now you have Evans and Godwin. Then you sprinkle in Rob Gronkowski, who came out and said that he's so much farther ahead than he was this time last year because he understands what he's doing now. He understands the intricacies of this offense. So I think the the evolution is the fact that you have guys that are now coming back in the second year of a system, all back together again, and it creates so many mismatches that when you have a quarterback as smart and as experienced as Tom Brady that can pick apart any matchup across the field, he's going to have a favorable matchup no matter what the defense is lined up in because of all the weapons. I've gone so far as to say that I believe that the Buccaneers end up with three 1,000-yard receivers this year in Evans, Godwin, and Antonio Brown. And I realize some people are thinking, whoa, you know, that's that's a pretty tall task. We haven't seen that in the NFL since 2008 with the Arizona Cardinals. But with the addition of the 17th game, these guys only have to average 59 yards a game in order to reach a thousand yards. And if anybody can spread the ball out and get those guys 60 yards a game, it's going to be Tom Brady. So it's still going to be a lot of the run game. It's still going to be sharing time with Rojo and Leonard Fournette because they're not going to be playing from behind. You go back and you look last season, they, they played from behind quite a bit throughout the year you know in the second half they were having to air the ball out they went on that tear at the end of the year but even against the Atlanta Falcons in the third quarter they were down by 20 points and they had to play from behind and come back and win and it it took some big touchdown passes to Antonio Brown and to Chris Godwin to get them back into it so I think they're polished enough and they're they're good enough to play from in front a lot which is where you're going to see a little bit more Ronald Jones, a little bit more Leonard Fournette. But to jump out to those leads, you're going to have the ball spread around to Evans, Godwin, A.B., Gronk, a healthy O.J. Howard coming back. You still have Cameron Braid, who's one of the most reliable options, especially if you're trying to move the sticks on a third and medium. Um, So I, I think the true evolution of this offense, the true next step comes from everybody being back under Bruce Arians, under Byron Leftwich for a second year, and they're just going out there and doing what they need to do. They're no longer thinking about what they need to do. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, can this young secondary continue to play at such a high level that we saw in the playoffs, or is this a potential weakness on that side of the ball? You look at you know Carlton Davis and Winfield Jr., um, you know Jordan Whitehead and Murphy Bunting and Jamel Dean. You know, they're all 24 and younger. Um, so it's a very, you know, young secondary. You know, Ross Cockrell is probably one of the, the vets at, in that spot at, uh, at 30, but he's more of a depth type piece. Can they continue to play at this high level? Do you see them getting better or do you see them as a possible uh, step back on that defensive side of the ball? I certainly think they can get better. And I think what fueled a lot of last season is the fact that every list, every ranking, that you looked at before the season put the Buccaneers secondary dead last in the NFL. They were always ranked 32nd 
And those guys went out there and they played with a chip on their shoulder. But the key to them being so successful last year is the key that we've seen to really any great secondary over the last 10, 15 years. You have to have a pass rush. If you don't have a pass rush, if you're not getting to the quarterback, your secondary is going to get picked apart no matter what. It doesn't matter if you jump in a time machine and you you pluck out prime Darrell Revis, prime Deion Sanders, and prime Richard Sherman. They can only cover for so long before a receiver is going to get open. So having the pass rush up front that the Buccaneers have allow these guys to grow and to trust one another. And that was a big part of it, too. They, they started to trust one another. They started to communicate a little bit better. And really, Antoine Winfield Jr. was that final missing piece. And, and I truly believe he's going to break out even more in his second year. Again, going back to kind of what I talked about with the offense, this is now his second year in Todd Bowles' extremely difficult and complex defense. So now he's doing more of the just reacting rather than thinking and reacting. We might see Winfield Jr. jump up into the echelon being talked about as one of the best safeties in the NFL, and he's going to come on blitzes. He's going to drop in coverage. He's going to do everything, and, and it's going to be really a lot of fun to watch. But as good as this secondary can be and and as well as they can play, it's all predicated on the guys up front and putting pressure on the quarterback so that those those secondary players are not hung out to dry. Yeah. Who's, who's one of your breakout players? Maybe somebody that's a little lower on the depth chart that may get an opportunity via injury. Um, who's a player that you see? I know you mentioned OJ Howard there and, and you know struggled with injuries and hasn't really lived up to those big expectations throughout his career. But who's somebody you've got circled that you see that could possibly have a little bit of a breakout season, surprisingly, maybe even a Scotty Miller? Yeah, Scotty's going to get his for sure. You know, he's he's kind of that burner guy, but Bruce Arians called him out in practice and said, you know, he needs to see more grimy catches out of out of Scotty Miller. So he started making more of those contested catches, those short yard uh, routes and and being able to maneuver his way through the defense. As far as a breakout player, I I mean, I, I realize I just talked about Antoine Winfield Jr. That's kind of a little bit easier just because he already is a little bit bigger of a name, but I think we're going to see a giant leap out of him. Honestly, this this might be cheating, but I'm going to go with it anyway. On a on a team where you're bringing back all the starters yeah. and and you're, you're basically putting out a, a Super Bowl winning team from top to bottom right back on the field, I'm going to go with the rookie. I'm going to go with Joe Tryon Showinka. Uh, this guy, he's he's not a starter. He's not going to have the opportunity that a lot of these other players have, but the impact that he can make in the limited opportunity that he will have is going to be absolutely phenomenal. There's absolutely no reason that a guy of his talent should have slipped all the way to 32 in the yep. NFL draft, and you're going to have him coming in and giving JPP a breather, giving Shaq Barrett a breather. And we know that Todd Bowles is so creative in the way that he sets up his blitzes, the way that he sets up his defense. There are going to be times this season where we see Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, and Joe Tryon Showinka all on the field at the same time. They, they did that once uh, during the joint practice with the Tennessee Titans, and the Titans – three different guys jumped off or had a, had a false start because they didn't know who was supposed to cover who, because it was so confusing and it was so out of the ordinary. 
So I think he ultimately has the biggest opportunity to have a major impact season as someone who's not a starter. The name's already a little bit more well-known because he was a first-round draft pick, but this is a guy that's going to be a rotational, situational player, barring any injury, that is going to create some serious problems for opposing offenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll have to watch out for him off the edge. There's no doubt about that. Uh, great value with that 32nd overall pick, like you said there, James. Who's the number one threat? Looking at this division now uh, in, in this NFC South, um, is it you know an emerging Panthers team uh, or is it still the Saints as the number one threat? You look at the schedule for the Bucs and it's fairly favorable. they got a tough little stretch from week three through six. But who do the Bucks have their eye on, um, you know, long term looking at this schedule that they believe, you know, we've got to get by this team or we've got to beat this team a couple times to secure that NFC South division? Honestly, within the division, I don't think there really is a threat. Um, you're you're seeing a New Orleans Saints team that has won this division four years in a row, and they're going through an adjustment period now. And I'm not saying that they're going to go, you know, six and 11 or something like that. I know the talent that Jameis Winston brings from covering this team and, and watching him. Jameis Winston is going to go out there and he is going to win games for the New Orleans Saints. But Jameis Winston is also going to go out there and lose games for the New Orleans Saints. I think they're probably the closest in terms of the division as far as competition. I could see them being a nine, maybe a 10 win team. Yep. After that, I would say it's the the sleeper in the division, in my opinion, is the Atlanta Falcons. This is still a talented team. They had a lot of losses in 2020 that were by one score and you know they they've changed head coaches they've, they've changed their staff and so there is that adjustment there they've lost julio jones but they brought in kyle pitts i think calvin ridley is an insanely underrated wide receiver i would put ready, him ready in, to take that next step right exactly exactly i think he's one of the top three wide receivers in the division along with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I do not put Michael Thomas in that tier. I would put Thomas top five, but I think Ridley Evans and, and Godwin in no particular order are the top three receivers in the division. And that leaves Russell Gage, who I think is also very underrated as a guy who's going to get more opportunity this year. And I think the Falcons are going to have a pretty potent, potent passing attack. Um, so I, I would say that the Falcons are, are, probably a little bit closer to the saints than a lot of people realize as far as the Panthers are concerned. I don't trust Sam Darnold until I'm proven wrong. I didn't really like him coming out of college. I didn't like him with the jets, but a lot of that could have been coaching. So maybe under Matt rule, he's going to start to get his legs under him. He's going to start to be, uh, you know, the quarterback that a lot of scouts believed him to be as far as any other hurdles. I would say that the Bucs are going to have to keep an eye on the, the Los Angeles Rams, who they will face on the road early in the season. And of yep. course, the Green Bay Packers. I mean, only the Packers would have a quarterback who's trying to stick it to the franchise by going out there and winning a Super Bowl and then forcing a trade. Um, so those I, I would say the Rams and the Packers are are far and away the top two uh teams that the Bucs really need to keep an eye on to make sure that that they're keeping pace or, or staying ahead of. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I kind of agree with you. You know, the Saints are in a tough spot, not being able to play at home all the way to, you know, week seven. And like you said, with still with, you know, as much as you have them as, the, you know, the fourth or fifth receiver in the division, you know, losing Michael Thomas definitely affects 
their weapons and their ability to, to push the ball down the field. What can derail last question here for you, James, what can derail this title defense for the box? Is it a, a certain positional group that you look at? I know you mentioned that, you know, that offensive line, we've talked about the secondary or is it just flat out, you know, a few major injuries that could possibly do, do them in, in terms of, you know, going back to back here in 2021. I, I think you nailed it right there at the end. It's it's major injuries. You know, if Tom Brady goes down, Blaine Gabbard is not leading this roster, despite how talented it is, to Super Bowl you know, 56. It, it just won't happen. Uh, you lose a couple of key guys along the offensive line, and the depth really is not fantastic there. Outside of Aaron Stinney, who could fill in in some of those interior positions, if you lose a Tristan Wirfs, if you lose a Donovan Smith, Josh Wells is not that guy who's going to come in and assert himself as a starting caliber tackle. He's going to get worked and it's going to get ugly. Um, out outside of of that, you know, they've they've overcome some serious injuries. They lost Vita Vea for a big, big portion of last season. He was able to come back in the playoffs and he made a huge impact. And there's a direct correlation to Vita Vea playing and Shaq Barrett's sack production. I, I actually did a dive on it last year. And, you know, when when Vita Vey is in, Shaq Barrett is averaging almost a full sack more per game than he is when Vita Vey is out. So you got to make sure that Vita Vey is staying on the field. If you lose a Levante David or a Devin White for a game or two, you can withstand that with guys like Kevin Minter, who filled in admirably for Devin White last year when he missed two games one at the end of the regular season and then one being the wild card game against the Washington football team. So there are some injuries they can overcome, but if you lose a Brady, if you lose a Donovan Smith, a Tristan Wirfs, uh, it, it could spell some huge, huge trouble for the Bucks if it's anything beyond maybe one or two games. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, James, we appreciate your time coming uh, coming on. Join us here as we record on a, on a holiday Monday. T-minus 72 hours to uh, the 2021 season. Enjoy uh, Thursday night kickoff. I know you'll be you'll be watching, and uh, hopefully you can get down to Tampa soon. Be safe and be well. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. As always, James, is a complete pleasure to talk to. Completely dialed in on his bucks. Nice to hear that he was able to get down uh, and uh, get some training camp in throughout the uh, the course of the summertime here. Must have been hot down there in Tampa, but uh, excited. You know, Tampa's one of those teams that uh, when you're following them and, and you, you know, you're uh, reporting on them, you know, the likes of a Jacksonville, a Buffalo, uh, a Miami, those types of teams that have that have fallen on some hard times here in the NFL over the last 10, 12, 15 years. It's nice to hear, you know, somebody somebody that's reported for them for 10 plus years. The time pays off, right? And and you stick with your team and you stick with that job and you you reap your rewards and and you know, you get to uh eat the fruits of your labor if you will in terms of uh, winning a Super Bowl. And it, it just, those hard times make those good times feel that much better. So nice to hear um, James is enjoying those good times, enjoying that uh, that Super Bowl victory. And uh, they're going to be right back to, back there again, folks. You, you heard it, so we won't dive too much into the Bucks. But um, the rest of that division you look at, the Atlanta Falcons, all Arthur Smith and, and Dave Rangone, and, and, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets down there. You've got Kyle Pitts, you've got Hayden Hurst. 
Listen, you don't have a, a lot of offensive line depth in Atlanta in terms of, um, you know, past their front five, front six, or top five, top six. You know, but their, their starting five is, is stacks up in the NFL as a pretty good offensive line. So to me, um, you're going to run the ball with Mike Davis. You're going to play action off of it. You're going to, you're going to try to get some mis- mismatches with Pitts and Hayden Hurst. And you, you heard him talk about Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage and, and some of those other weapons. So um, offensively, I think Atlanta's going to be able to move the ball. Matt Ryan's a, a good quarterback. I think you're going to see him, you know, not take as many downfield shots. Or really, I think it, you're going to see a lot more of a, a little bit more of a timing offense, getting the ball out on time, keeping those chains moving, and not so much dropping back and and having five, six, seven step drops, and and looking to get the ball down the field to Julio or Ridley. I think you're going to see a lot more of those timing routes and try to hit some of these receivers and tight ends in stride more and in the timing of that offense instead of more of that traditional drop back and and throw it you know that 15 to 18 yards down the field to some of those big weapons uh defensively dean pease has got his work cut out for him um they're trying to rebuild this defense but still not enough talent on that side of the ball you know you 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 brought over fabian uh, morno from washington football team you brought over duran Harmon from new england you know you brought over eric harris from vegas um to, to shore up the secondary, you know, you drafted AJ Terrell out of Clemson a couple of years ago now. So you, you've got some pieces in the secondary, but you're ultimately relying on Dante Fowler to be the lead dog in terms of pass rush and, and Grady Jarrett to stay healthy and eat up those blocks to, to keep Fowler um, open and available to get to the quarterback. But going to need to be a lot of scheming to get home uh, in, in terms of the pass rush. Schedule wise, I think they've. You know, you may see Atlanta come out of the gate hot. You know, you've got the Eagles at home, winnable football game. Okay, you travel to the Bucks in your division. You know, it, it's it's unlikely they win that football game. Highly, highly unlikely. But it's a divisional game. You never know. Then you got the Giants. Then you got Washington at home and the Jets at home. Those are that's to me four winnable football games for the, that Atlanta Falcons. And then you go by week six. You know, you could see uh, a three and two Falcon squad out of the gate here, especially with Arthur Smith and that new system within that division. Um, they may surprise some of these teams in the NFC. They may surprise a Washington just on that uh, lack of continuity, lack of knowledge with Arthur Smith coming over from that AFC side with from Tennessee. So um, I think they've got it. If they if they want to last, got to get out to a hot start. Got to find a way to somehow. Get four and one at worst, three and two. If you see the Falcons come out, um, you know one and four, two and three, it's going to be a long, long season. I ultimately have them have being in that five to seven win range. I just don't see them coming out that hot and four and one. But uh, never say never. I'm not as high on the Saints as James was in terms of what Jameis Winston can do. Listen. Uh, these first few weeks here without Michael Thomas, you, you know, you got a banged up uh, Traquan Smith. Uh, you're really, you know, Marquez, Marquez Calloway, you're really relying on some unknown weapons there and Alvin Kamara. It's going to be a lot of stack boxes to start. And when you're that um, 
weapon depleted in terms of what's happened here. Drew Brees and Michael Thomas um, being taken out of that lineup. And then you're not allowed to play at home until at the earliest week seven here. And you've got, uh, you know, you've got the likes of Green Bay at New England. You've got Carolina in your division at Washington. And then you've got a, yeah, by week week six, and then you come out and you from week seven to thirteen, folks. The Saints have got Seattle, Tampa Bay, at Tennessee, at Philly, and then versus Buffalo versus Dallas. Back to back Thursday night games on prime time. That Buffalo game we got circled on our schedule. Um, it is the Turkey Bowl game. It is the nighttime game. So um, I just have I just can't see the Saints getting the double digit wins this year. I think this is the the year where Sean Payton has got his work cut out for him. And if he's ever going to coach up a squad to get where they need to get to, uh, you know, that 10-11 win mark to, to sneak into the NFC playoffs and, and into one of those wild card spots, um, he's going to have to do it this year because I, I just don't, I, I don't, I, I think the damage with Michael Thomas and that organization might be too far to repair. I know things are sound like they're on the up and up, but um, there was a lot of bitter bitterness in the off season and a bitterness in in training camp and a, a pretty um, blatant and calculated decision in terms of that surgery. Uh, Thomas had a long time to go ahead and get that surgery done and get healthy for week one here, and he stuck it to him and he stuck it to him real good. When you know your franchise quarterback retires and that offense is leaning solely on you and Alvin Kamara. And you go ahead and stick it to him like that. Um, there's going to be some hard feelings, and I don't care what's said in the media. There, I think they've still got some work to do to, to repair that relationship, and it's going to be tough for the Saints right off the hop. And that uh, that that gauntlet of a schedule from week seven to thirteen, defensively, you know, you've added Quan Alexander, you've added Demario Davis, you've drafted. Um, Zach Bond out of, out of Wisconsin and Patrick Warner out of out of Ohio State at the linebacker position to try to find somebody to play linebacker and somebody to cover some of these big time tight ends here in this division over these last you know four to six years uh, from the likes of Tony Gonzalez to Hayden Hurst to Kyle Pitts to Rob Gronkowski and the Saints have just never been able to find anybody to stay on the football field long enough. Um, you look at E, they tried A.J. Klein for for a few years, and it's just been a revolving door at those that that, that weak side and middle linebacker spot for the Saints. Pass rush-wise, you know, you've got a good one-two tandem, and, and Marcus Davenport looks to have another, you know, build on another good season, going opposite of Cam Jordan. He's going to see a lot of one-on-one matchups, and he'll be able to try to step in um, and fill that role and fill that void for Trey Hendrickson leaving, going over to Cincinnati in the offseason here. But um, I just can't see the Saints making up enough ground here and with a tough start and without some of their big-time weapons and even the weapons they have being banged up and, and playing some of these these good defenses in Washington and New England and Green Bay um, off the hop. I can't see the Saints uh, having enough. I got them coming in around 8-9 and 9-8. Nine and nine and and uh, missing the playoffs this year. And the team that I have as a surprise and taking a real big step is that team out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We saw improvement last year. I think they're going to take another step. I think they're going to get it to uh, above 500 here. I see the Carolina Panthers at around 9-8 and eight 
right in around that 500 mark. Listen, um, there's nothing out there for any of us to say that we're sold on Sam Darnold. I get it. But you look at that coaching carousel throughout this his time and, and from Adam Gase and, and everything that was there over the last um, years for Sam Darnold and, and from an offensive coordinator perspective, you know, four years there and three offensive systems and you got Gase at the helm who we, we've known now, um, you know, other than it was Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator in Denver and that's, that's pretty clear in terms of um, being that offensive mind. But I see Sam Darnold being efficient here and I like the weapons that, that Carolina's got. I like the one-two punch of McCaffrey and the Canadian kid, Chuba Hubbard. Watch out for this kid. He's a good runner. He's a smart runner. And, you know, you re-sign Robbie Anderson. You lock him up. You got DJ Moore. You got Terrace Marshall uh, Jr. out of LSU, who I've pounded the table for throughout this offseason. You got the ultimate mismatch in Dan Arnold. Um, They might have finally found their tight end there. So offensively, they've started to add some pieces. Offensive line-wise, okay, there's still some work to be done there, but if they can protect the kid enough and be able to get the ball out of his hands and and really use McCaffrey, and if McCaffrey can step back in and be that running back that he was, I think offensively they take a step. Defensively, they've got some big-time playmakers on that side of the ball. We've known what Carolina's done in the draft here, but to me, they've to take that next step defensively, you know, you, you look at Jeremy Chin and hit what he did. You draft J.C. Horn as your new lockdown corner. You've still got Shaq Thompson. You've got Derek Brown on the inside. Defensively, they've got the pieces, but you need to find Udyr Groups. Uh, they've got to find a pass rusher to him. Traded for Daryl Johnson. Maybe he can contribute. Uh, Davion Nixon, big man. If he can help uh, Derek Brown push that pocket out of Iowa, they've got to find some pass rush. They've got to find a pass rusher to really start to wreak havoc um, for this Carolina defense. But I think that when you look at that roster and, and a mix of offense and defense, I think they're going to play good complementary football. They've done nothing but take steps and done the right things in Carolina since Matt Rule stepped foot in that uh, in that in in those doors and in Charlotte. And I see the... Uh, I got the Carolina Panthers in a surprise finishing... Um, Second place in this division. I got the Saints in a close third. Not Just don't believe in Jameis. And uh, like I said, just too many uh, pieces missing there in New Orleans. Now it's it's time to take a, a step back, being in cap jail, get yourself recovered and move from there. And the Falcons, um, offensively they may be okay, but defensively I, I still just see them being an absolute mess. And we know what happened uh, happened last year. Let's move on to our last division, folks here of our uh, divisional breakdown as we are 72 hours away our four-week divisional breakdown and we are going to move on to the AFC North and listen we've gone through them all NFC East North South and West I told you last week that that NFC West would not be no longer be the best division in football I had it as the AFC West and a close second is our last but not least the NFC or sorry AFC North Black and Blue Division. And let's start with we'll we'll start from the bottom. We'll go old school. Start from the bottom. Now we here and we'll move up. Uh, similar to those those 
Carolina Panthers. Listen, uh, Zach Taylor and, and that staff have made some steps and have made some moves to try to improve. But I see the Bengals kind of like Car- Carolina's in that year three of that movement of, of starting to rebuild and, and getting some pieces. And you may start to see some, you'll see some improvement there. Cincinnati's still a few pieces away. The offensive line is still in shambles. They're they're still trying to find five legit NFL starters um, on that offensive line. I, I really hope for Joe Burrow's sake that uh, that he can make it through all 17 games here healthy because I think the kid's special and I think he's got a chance to be, you know, one of the the premier stars in the NFL if they can protect him and, and keep him healthy. I like the weapons that they surround him with, and and listen, everybody loves the the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allen type of um, build, right? Let's surround him with pieces and and find the way. But if you look at at what the Bills and the Chiefs and and Cleveland, and we'll get to Cleveland here, what they they have done and what they quietly do, and I guess it, it's not the sexy moves that you see, but Cleveland, one of the best offensive lines in football, Buffalo solid offensive line not one of the best but probably still a top 10 top 12 offensive line you know the first thing they did um when when uh mcdermott and bean got to town they signed mitch, mitch morse away from the chiefs you look at what the chiefs did in the offseason we covered that last week you gotta be able to get protection and then you can have these weapons and and that's what's all fine and sexy and great for fantasy football but it's those little moves in the trenches that truly matter cincinnati's not there yet um jamar chase can have a big year great um you know combo and we we talked about it and um you know trio if you will with uh with t higgins and and uh boyd and jamar chase in cincinnati and and you're gonna see them you know, make some electric plays down the football field with that quarterback, and they're they're going to find some some big time plays, and they'll win a game or two that you, you don't think they're going to win. But when you add it up over seventeen games here, I just don't see Cincinnati making that uh, that big of a move. Defensively, they've added some nice pieces. Trey Hendrickson coming over, like we said earlier. So I think on that defensive line, they've added some pieces, but they they lose Nick Vigil. Uh, the secondary to me is still an absolute disaster. That you've got to figure that out as well. So um, Cincinnati's going to make some improvements, but just not enough to uh, to get where they need to be in this division with this three-headed monster atop here. And let's move to where I've got it next, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And as we move into Week One here. Real interesting developments as you start to hear about T.J. Watt and, to me, one of the elite best pass rushers in the game that we have today. And Pittsburgh can't get him under contract. And and he's limited his time, and the team has limited his time with team activities and being able to get on that practice field all through a training camp. And he's in, even as we move forward here into this first week uh, lead-up practices, into week one of, of NFL football here. So that scares you. What also scares you is three rookies starting on a, on the offensive line right now for the foreseeable future here in front of an aging and not very mobile Ben Roethlisberger. So um, a couple red flags coming up here. We've got an aging defensive line. You know, you've got Melvin Ingram in there. You know, 
TJ Watt's going to get on the football field. Not not to not to worry. Will it be week two, week three? It might be. It might be. You may not see him um, this week against Buffalo. In my heart of hearts, do I think you will? Yeah. I think Pittsburgh knows that they can't go in and win that game against Buffalo without uh, number 90 TJ Watt on the football field um, on that day because to me, you know, you double Hayward, you take your chances with Ingram. If Ingram beats you, hey, kudos to you, but um, double Hayward and you've, to me, really neutralized that pass rush. Tyson Alualu uh, doesn't scare me anymore at this point in his career. Def- uh, linebacker position still solid. You know, you get back Devin Bush from the injury. Alex Highsmith, a, a linebacker that they're for uh, for a play on words high on in Pittsburgh. Uh, Robert Spillane. So they've got some good pieces and good depth at that linebacker position, like they always do. And you've got Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end making plays for Pittsburgh, but. Um, I just continue to go back to that Big Ben, rookies on the offensive line. How much are you going to get out of Watt here? And a tough schedule to start. You know, you're at Buffalo week one. You're going to have 70 plus thousand in there. Um, two years waiting, that place is going to be rocking um, down there at uh, at the Ralph or Highmark Stadium, if you will. And then you're, you're home to Vegas, home to Cincy. So a couple winnable games there. And then you got Green Bay on the road. And then you've got a Denver team who's going to be much improved, and then a Seattle team. Both of those at home, but um, you know you're looking at those first six games, and you could see a, a three and three start from the Steelers. Um, so hopefully they can get off to a little bit of a better start, and you may see them get to double digits. But I think with that schedule and what's happening here in terms of who they can get on the football field and what they've got talent-wise, I see Pittsburgh coming around in that nine and eight spot. Maybe sneaking into that ten and seven spot, hanging around that last wild card position. I think they'll be lucky to get in. A team that I think is going to make a, a solid step here, and I had them actually really high until you started to look at it and look at some of the injuries that have built up here for the Baltimore Ravens. I had them at eleven and six, even maybe even twelve and five. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they've got enough to withstand some of these injuries, but you know, you you look at the likes of. The running back position, and and you know you've lost um, Justice Hill now again. We already know about J.K. Dobbins on on that done for the season. So, you know your one and three running backs are are um, out for the year. You still got Gus Gus the Bus, who's a solid guy to bring in uh, as a number two option. As a number one, does he give you that home run hitting ability? No, I think you're going to see a signing from them. Uh, from what we're hearing tonight, we've heard a couple things here. Uh, Devontae Freeman, Freeman, Le'Veon Bell is a couple different options to come in and help um, Gus the Bus and Gus Edwards along the way here. They lock up um, their number one target man in Mark Andrews. Four years, $56 million extension, uh, $14 million AAV. Putting them up there with the likes of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle as some of the top uh, best-paid tight ends in the game, and he deserves to be. Over the last two years, he's been absolutely phenomenal in Baltimore. He's been their their main weapon. A big loss. Not only Dobbins was a big loss, but uh, Rashad Bateman not being able to get on here until uh, week three, week four for Baltimore to kind of give him that third option, if you will. You know, you bring in Sammy Watkins, and you know what? As much as we know Sammy Watkins is a Band-Aid, the guy makes big football plays, and he he makes 
big time plays down the field. You know, it's nothing for Sammy Watkins to average 16, 17 yards a reception um, over his career. He he can get down the football field and he can make plays and he's still dangerous with the hand, with the football in his hands. You've got Hollywood Brown. Would have been a nice piece. You've got Andrews. To have that full offense, I really would have liked to have seen it for Lamar to really, to me, show me what he is. As we look at these two quarterbacks in this North Division from Baker Mayfield to Lamar Jackson, we've seen Josh Allen get locked up, $258 million. He's the, the franchise quarterback here for the Buffalo Bills for the foreseeable future here. But what's happening in Baltimore and what's happening in Cleveland? And, and I would just... I just don't want Lamar to go another season here where we're guessing what he is here. Let's find out what he is. And I think he would have had an opportunity there if fully healthy with the rookie, with Dobbins, with everybody there um, to really get a good feel for how good Lamar Jackson can be. But they're banged up, this Ravens squad. And and ultimately, I put them... You want to talk about a, um, a tough schedule to start. You've got a real tough schedule. you got at Vegas on Monday Night Football... You've got your home to KC. Then you got a couple winnable games at Denver or at Detroit at Denver. You know, you're starting three out of the first four at the, on the road with Kansas City at home. Buckle up the first quarter of the season. Um, if you're not paying attention here, then you're at Indy at an improved char- or home to uh, an improved Charger squad. And then you've got Cincinnati to settle it down before your before your bye week there. Five of the last seven games in the division. So there'll still be a lot to play for for those Ravens, even if they get off to a slower fart start for them um, through the first seven games. You may see them at three and four or four and three and wonder what's going on. They're banged up on that offensive line. You know, you draft Big Mauler, Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. He's got a concussion, looks like he's out. Uh, Bradley Bozeman's banged up a little bit at center. Uh, who knows how long Ronnie Stanley can stay healthy for. But um, much like Pittsburgh, still got some great linebacker depth with uh, Malik Harrison, Patrick Queen, Parnell Maffee, Justin Houston. Some great draft picks in Adolphi away out of, out of Penn State and up with that first round pick. And Dalen Hayes making the roster with that fifth round pick out of Notre Dame. Um, from that weak, weak side linebacker spot, which we know Baltimore loves to bring pressure with that we've seen over the years. And you've got the playmakers on the back end defensively with Mar- Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, and Chuck Clark. So I see the Ravens coming in 10-7, uh, 11-6, second place in its division to those Cleveland Browns. And I think the Cleveland Browns are going to be in that push. I, I I just don't see how you can't be. I think the, the AFC is, it's got three teams that are a class above everybody right now. And I think that's, you look at the likes of Kansas City, then you got Buffalo, Cleveland, and then you've got the rest of that, the, that conference in terms of, you've got the Ravens, you've got the Steelers, you've got the Chargers, um, you've got maybe Vegas and, and some of those other teams that could possibly make a push here. You've got the Colts in there as well. So that's kind of to where I, I kind of lump everybody in on that third tier. and and But I've got Cleveland in that next tier. You look at the two-headed monster at the running back spot. Um, look for David uh, Peoples-Jones out of Michigan to take that next step. You've still got Austin Hooper. Um so some great offensive weapons 
we know how good and deep that offensive line is. And, but to me, they've taken the step defensively. And, you know, you, 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 you know you're going to be up, the, up against the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and some of these great quarterbacks. And even in the, in the late night meetings and in the darkest rooms at the end of the night, when they look themselves in the mirror and if they don't feel that Baker Mayfield is, is that quarterback, can he be that, that Patrick Mahomes? Can he be that, that Josh Allen? Can he be the Russell Wilson, the Aaron Rodgers type of quarterback? If you don't think he can be and, and you're going to let him play this contract out here over the next couple of years, then why not do what they've done? And, and you look at, you know, they go out and get Jadavion Clowney. And, and I know he, some are saying he's washed, and, and I get it. He he may be, but he's still a, a, a player in this league that you've got a game plan for and you've got to keep an eye out. To me, you go out and you get uh, Jeremiah Wasu Karamoa out of Notre Dame. Steal of a pick at uh, in round two at number uh, 52 there, who can be, to me, a sleeper pick for the defensive rookie of the year. Greg Newsom, the third at a Northeastern with that first pick, 26th overall. And you've now got a one-two monster with the pass rush. You've got some solid linebackers. You, you know, you add in, uh, you know, uh, Owasu Karamoa as that third pass rush, pass rush option. Uh, Shioni Takitaki you've got as a solid linebacker. And then you look at the secondary and how deep this is with what they've added from the Rams in the offseason and the draft with Newsom. You've got Denzel Ward, Troy Hill, Ronnie Harrison, John Johnson, Greedy Williams, MJ Stewart, Greg Newsom. This secondary is eight and nine deep. It can handle injuries and it can handle the best of passing offenses, i.e. Buffalo, Kansas City, the Chargers, and some of these high stakes Um you know, high leverage passing offenses here in the uh, in the AFC. So, I think this is going to be the second to best division in football next to the AFC West. That's our eight week divisional breakdown here in the NFL. And to end off our NFL chat for this week and let it sit for week one of the NFL season. And folks, and I hope you're excited for NFL football as I am because I am absolutely jacked. We're going to get into our final little two segments here, and we're going to kick it off with a little, uh, we'll call it game lines. And some of the lines that we're looking at here in week one of the NFL season, we've had a few of our listeners um, request this. So we're going to go game by game. I'm going to tell you what I like, and we're going to get some some high-level gamblers on here over the next uh, few months to uh, really dive into some of these lines, dive into some of the year-long stuff as well for all of our listeners out there who uh, I know like to take a few shekels and uh, place it down on, on some of the NFL stuff. So as we uh, as we open her up and Thursday Night Football, we've got the Cowboys and the Bucks. I'll preface all of this with week one to me, um... Week 1 and Week 18 are the toughest weeks to bet um, in the NFL. You just don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Um, for me, I always lower the stake a little bit just because of that and thing, until things kind of settle in and you get a real good feel for where teams are at, um, injuries, how teams are playing, 
how they view their team because that's always important in terms of you know who's playing at the quarterback or some of those high um, important positions that we know happen here so to me i'm staying away uh 51 and a half over under minus seven for the bucks i'm staying away from this one i'm going to stay away from this next game i think it's a toss-up you know you've got uh, 48 on the over under minus three and a half for those falcons if you had to force me on one I got to like the Falcons at home to open it up. I think that's a winnable game for them. Three and a half points. Could I see a 28-24, uh, 31-21 um, final? Yes, I could in that game. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I think I think that to me, if, if I like any number there, it's the over at 48. I love the Carolina Panthers minus five here against the New York Jets. Um, I think Carolina is going to start out hot and really start to, uh, you know, see that improvement right off the bat. They're at home. Zach Wilson in his first NFL game. If Carolina is going to make that jump that we want defensively, why not do it against a banged up, beat up, beat up offensive line that the Jets have right now? Love Carolina minus five. I see them winning that game by a touchdown. The Chargers and Washington minus one for the Chargers, forty-four point five. Even money for Washington, so they're worth a look there. But what I love is the over at 44.5. I think both of these offenses uh, have improved. Justin Herbert scores points. I know Washington, both defenses are good, but it's week one. I think uh, we're going to see some points in this game. I like the over at 44.5 here. San Fran, Detroit, minus 7.5 for San Fran, 45.5 on the over-under. I'm staying away. We'll skip over the next one. Steelers Bills minus six and a half at forty eight and a half. I'm just worried about, like I said, those three rookies starting for um, for the offensive line for Pittsburgh. An improved pass rush from what we've seen from the preseason. I know it doesn't always equate to the regular season, but um, an improved pass rush for this Bills squad. Uh, an offense to me that um, is going to pick up where it left off in 2020. I like the Bills minus six and a half here. Seahawks and Indy minus two and a half, forty-eight and a half on the um, on the over under. I love the under here in terms of um, the Seahawks and Indy. I think both of these squads are going to come out and run the football. I don't see a lot of points happening here. I know the Seahawks defense was historically bad last year. Carson Wentz is going to kind of look to make his imprint, but um, I I see Indy kind of running the football. Lo- really like the under here at 40, uh, 48 and a half. I just I can't twenty seven twenty one. You still got you still got uh, you still got an under there. I can't see either of these squads with these defenses putting up a thirty burger, which is going to get you over that fifty mark and get you to the over. I love the under here. I'm hammering it. Vikings and Bengals completely staying away from that one. Minus three for the Vikes on the road. Forty eight even on the over under. Jags and Houston throw that one out. I um sorry, do man. I'm not getting to that one at all um arizona 52 arizona tennessee 52 even on the over under minus three for tennessee i like tennessee big time i think you hammer them here at minus three at home arizona coming up almost cross country here so i do like um that tennessee minus three julio's debut i see them getting at him and getting in the end zone now we move over to the uh, the 4 p.m. slot. 
time frame here as we finish up with our last six games here on our games line new games line segment. Miami, New England, minus two and a half, 43 and a half here on the over under, minus two and a half favorite for the uh, the point spread here for New England. Gotta like the under here. Uh, do you not see 21 17, 2014 final here? I, I'm not sold on Tua. The offensive line's not ready yet in Miami, in my mind. New England's defense, even without uh, the Gilly Lock and Stephon Gilmore there, has made significant improvements. I think they're going to be able to get after Tua. I think they're going to dial some stuff up. And um, I just see New England just going right after that Miami front seven, ground and pound it. I like, uh, even at 43.5, I still like the under. And I, I think Miami's worth um, the money line, a money line uh, look at plus one, 125. On a little bit of an upset, uh, for sure. Definitely take a look, and if you like it there, I wouldn't be opposed to a to a wager there. Love the Broncos minus two and a half on the road against the New York Giants. That offensive line's in shambles. Uh, I think the one-two punts of Chubb and Miller are going to get back to it. I've talked about the step that the Broncos are going to make. I like the Broncos minus two and a half this week, and I'm going to ride it uh, on that road. Uh, that road Warriors. Green Bay Packers minus four and a half uh, playing in Jacksonville Stadium. Um, New Orleans is definitely going to miss that home field advantage. That would have been a big uh, game in that primetime 425 slot. 50 on the uh, the, is the, spread, um, the line on the over-under, but I think Green Bay wins by um, a touchdown or even double digits here against this Saints squad. Green Bay's defense is just too good. They're going to get after Jameis Winston, force a couple turnovers on pretty much a neutral field here. I like Green Bay minus 4.5. Chiefs and Cleveland, we're staying away from it. Minus 6 at home, favored for the Chiefs. 53 on the over-under line. Staying away from that one. Uh, Bears, Rams, minus 7.5. Sunday night football, 44.5 on the uh, the big line. Uh if I'm if you're forcing me to take anything here, I'm taking the Rams minus seven and a half. I don't trust Andy Dalton. Once again, I see it being a double digit victory for this Rams squad. Um, Aaron Donald is going to chew up and spit out whatever offensive line the Bears throw at him. Um, he's going to be in the backfield all night. Um, it's going to be a migraine for David Montgomery, Andy Dalton, and the Chicago Bears Sunday night football. First time uh, that a regular season crowd will be in SoFi Stadium. L.A. will be jacked up and ready to go. I've just talked myself into taking the Rams. They're my survivor pick, by the way, folks, this week as well. I just can't see Statford's debut um, with that squad losing on Sunday Night Football to a Chicago Bears squad led by Andy Dalton. And my upset pick of the week is Monday Night Football Four and a half point underdogs. I like them even on the money line at plus 180. I like the Las Vegas Raiders um, on Monday Night Football um, to upset the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are four and a half point favorites. We talked to just finished talking about how banged up they were. That's my games line segment of the week. That was it, folks, for week one in terms of the lines. What I like. Like I said, we're going to have some Vegas insiders on over the next few weeks here to talk. I'm sure Dutch will be on in the fall as well 
talking uh, game lines and what he likes in terms of uh, what is going to happen moving forward here. And to end off the NFL segment and kick you off into fantasy football and week one of NFL football, I've got a few sleepers, some rookie sleepers for those that still have their draft. This episode will drop Tuesday morning, a little last-minute prep. So if you're looking for some round three, round four rookie sleepers, Listen, there's enough fantasy football stuff out there. You know who to draft. You can follow along and it can give you a guide by guide. Um, So you don't need me to tell you. But if you're looking for some sleepers here, folks, um, let's start with the running back position. Quarterbacks, listen, we've talked all offseason. You've heard on my my few podcasts here since we've returned in August about the, the rookie quarterbacks. And I don't think we really need to cover them. We know who the starters are. We know where they're going to be. We, we don't have any QB1s um, coming out, out of the hop, out of that core five. Um, if we really start to, to break it down, are you really going to take a Zach Wilson? You know, Trevor Lawrence might be your only real option to uh, to ride as a QB1 through, um, through the course of an entire fantasy football season. But, you know, Trey Lance and Justin Fields and, and some of these other quarterbacks um, probably aren't going to you know, they're a QB3 type of option. So um, let's slip over to the running backs now. And, and two running backs out of UNC that I've been high on all, all um, offseason and, and camp as we've moved in here is Javante Williams, who's a running back two out of Denver. I see him as a running back two at best three option. And Michael Carter Jr. Uh, with the New York Jets. He's a running back four type of option, three, four. So late in the draft, if you're looking for somebody with a high ceiling, I like uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. You know my feelings on Trey Sherman. And a couple, three sleepers. Mentioned one earlier, Chuba Hubbard, RB2, out of Carolina. We know they're going to run the ball. I know he's behind McCaffrey. But I think this kid is an RB4 late, late in your draft. Maybe even an RB5 is worth just stacking away and keeping him on your roster in case of another injury to McCaffrey. You just never know. And uh, Ramondre Stevenson, RB2 slash 3 out of New England. We know their game plan with uh, with Jonu Smith and uh, with Hunter Henry now double tight end set. We think they're going to run the ball with the three-headed monster in the backfield. And an ultimate sleeper, late, maybe the one of your last picks, Jared Patterson, running back out of University of Buffalo. Shout out to the old boy. He loves this kid for the Washington football team. This kid's dynamic, and he's one injury away to seeing some serious carries. Why not take him as an RB4? Uh, Tight ends, I've got one sleeper for you, folks. Pat Fryermuth, tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a big-time red zone threat. We've seen that in the preseason. We know they've got Eric Ebron, but um, Eric Ebron's questionable catching the football Firemouth's going to get some red zone targets, and if he can take advantage of those, he may start to get on the football field. And don't be surprised if this kid earns a starting position um, as we move into week 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, or if there's an injury to Ebron at all. We know history's told us that Ebron cannot stay on the football field um, for an entire, uh, for an entire uh, season. Wide receiver spot, we know the big three. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. To me, they're going to be wide receivers, um, three, four type of options. They're not in that elite category yet. Um, 
I wouldn't feel comfortable with having them as your wideout one and two until we get into the season a little bit. We start to see their targets and what's happening. If you uh, if you're in a PPR, non PPR, you're definitely wide receiver three four for those two options. If you're willing to sit and wait on a couple receivers um, and see how things play out, Rashad Bateman, who we mentioned, Eliza Moore out of uh, out of the New York Jets. Those are kind of sit-and-wait stash types options, maybe wide receiver four or five, somebody that you don't need to start right away, but you can see some long-term game uh, down the road for them. Some real, real sleepers. I got three for you. Terrace Marshall Jr., we mentioned from Carolina. He's going to be a plug-and-play type guy, so he may be somebody that you may be able to get in round 10, 11, 12. Um a man run uh, St. Brown for Detroit. He's going to get his targets. This is a guy here, folks, that, that um, could come up. He, he's not going to be owned in most leagues. Could be a waiver wire pickup, especially if he starts out hot. So I like this kid out of Detroit and Dwayne Eskridge, especially if there's an injury at a Western Michigan playing for Seattle. I think he's got an option. So just a few rookie sleepers uh, for you guys that you can draft late late in your draft maybe draft and stash um, or kind of get ahead of that waiver wire a lot of times we see with some of these rookies they sit on the waiver wire till they have a a boom week um, and then they have a couple bus weeks but if you can kind of ride that wave have them in your on your roster before you get hit too hard with injuries and then bam once they hit week six week seven they start to really start to produce until they hit their rookie wall, you've got that six to eight week stretch where if you've got one of these guys and you've got the right guy, um, you've just hit uh, a big boom and can really um, win a league and dominate a league. Odell Beckham Jr. 101 um, in terms of the potential for some of these uh, sleepers at the running back, wide receiver, and tight end position. That's your quick fantasy football breakdown. Good luck to everybody on all their drafts. Um, if you haven't done so already tomorrow night wednesday night some even do it some leagues even do it live when they watch the game on thursday night hope you enjoy week one of the nfl season folks i'm excited to break it down with you next week and see all the games and what happens great to have nfl football back we'll catch you on the flip side on the break with the world of golf thank you very Real life passion for real life sports. All right, folks, welcome back from break. We broke it down in its entirety. NFL football. We're going to get off of that now. And we've got some big golf guests coming up uh, over the next month, a month and a half, folks. I know Dutch is going to be back joining us in the fall when the golf season calms down a little bit. But let's get into the world of golf. And two big events this week. We had the Ladies Solheim Cup. We had the, the finale of the FedEx Cup final, the Tour Championship at each Lake Golf Club. And let's start with the ladies in the U and the Solheim Cup, Toledo, Ohio. Great crowds. Hype man Bubba Watson on site, which was absolutely phenomenal to see and to grow the game. And 
the European squad. Like I told you, if you had checked our picks on Thursday morning, I had an extra one in there, plus 225. So well over even money for Europe to win the Solheim Cup again. And they did it 15-13. to 13, And it started right from Friday morning. Absolutely stuffed uh, the U.S. 3.5 to a half in that first session. Winning 5.5, 2.5 on the first day. U.S. made a slight little push on Saturday morning. Winning that session, the only session that they did um, indeed win was that Saturday morning uh, foursomes. But uh, a two and a half, one and a half victory in the afternoon for a four and a half, three and a half total on day two for uh, for that um, nine seven lead going into day three. They split day three. To me, the big message was sent early. Listen, um, out of the first five matches, Europe is able to get themselves three and a half points out of the first five matches on. Um, on Sun on Monday, sorry, and it, it's over. It's over from there. Um, and the event, my apologies, was actually Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Great to have it on the holiday Monday. Be able to watch the ladies um, compete all uh, weekend long in uh, Toledo at Inverness Golf Club. The golf club showed out. It's going to have some major events coming up. I hope it gets back into the men's rotation. And nice to see the old historic clubs um, get back on there and really. Um, you know, re-salvage and re-put themselves on the Mac. But a great showcase for the ladies. And listen, um, 18 out of the 28 matches go to the 18th hole. Europe, the difference, Europe, seven wins, U.S. five wins, and four halves. Uh, the difference was, was, the, uh, was the 18th hole and the finale and how Europe was able to win and close or half, somehow scratch and claw to half matches. And that was the difference was that stretch run. And, and now you start to look at this um, and a shout-out performance, if you were able to watch it, to Leona McGuire, the only player out of the two teams that played all five matches, and she was undefeated, 4-0 and 1. So four wins and a half for uh, Leona McGuire from Ireland. She keeps her role going from uh, the Women's British Open, was the best player out of the 24 uh, competing, but... You know, uh, Charlie Hall two and two, um, Emily Kirsten Pedersen three and one, Anna Nordquist two one and one, Matilda Castron uh, three and one. So, other than than the big rookie coming in from Ireland, um, they leaned heavy on this Scandinavian squad that we talked about. Um, the Swedish and the the Danish really s- step into the plate um, and really be in there um, for. Captain uh, Katrina Matthew, and, and doing a great job, and and you start to look at it, the likes of, of Charlie Hall and Mel Reed and Georgia Hall, you know, seven five and two all time in her third, uh, Solheim Cup. Charlie Hall five times in the Solheim Cup. Mel Reed four times in the Solheim Cup, seven times for Nordquist, and then you go up to this American squad and and the Cordes uh, twins. You know, finished the week at three three wins, four losses, and and you know Jessica was in there, but Nelly looked a little bit disinterested, and and you look at the you know Lizette Salas and and a couple nice performances and maybe some pieces to build on in uh, Yelemi No and Jennifer Cupcho with uh, winning records at two and one and two one and one for the for the U.S. squad and maybe a couple nice pieces here that they can start to move forward with and pair with 
the quarter twins because when you start to break it down and and you know Ali Ewing with, with a hot start but disappointed Lexi Thompson disappointing again and and her record in a as a five-time Solheim Cup participant um, really starts to worry you that hey we're 10-7 all time in the Solheim Cup now and Europe's won two times in a row we're heading back over to Europe now this could be three in a row here and this could be that same type of situation that the men's had where they've got to figure it out and they've got to you know remember what that men's team did with with calling the Ryder Cup um faction squad and and creating a committee and and really trying to figure that out so um in two years from now if Europe wins another one here uh look out and there'll be some serious questions to ask um these U.S. ladies in terms of their performance at the Solheim Cup but what a great event what a great showcase not going to talk a lot about that gimme putt um because I just think that it doesn't need to be talked about because there was so much more and so much of a greater showcase for the for the ladies game let's finish up our uh our PGA Tour season in 2021 with the FedEx Cup Finals and you know what I was a doubter at the start of the week with the format I wasn't sure I messaged Dutch with the format but you know what it showed up and showed out um and Patrick Cantley does it again and he deserved it you know you won the BMW he finishes minus 11 total for the week which is still would have been in um the top five so you know you win the BMW you're right up there you know you're inside the top eight um on all three FedEx Cup uh, playoff events you deserve to have the FedEx Cup finals but um you look at the likes of Kevin Na at minus 14 for the week John Rahm at minus 14 for the week so both of those guys um shout out to them for for really playing the best golf throughout the course of the week Eastlake's still a tough challenge for these boys when you start to break it down um eight out of the top 30 players in the world at this time get to double digits under par so it's still a good test for these guys and still a great way to uh to end a season um for the pga tour and the players so um great great finish great event great year year of the playoff we've talked about it and now let's move into the Ryder cup hey um we got our picks coming up on Wednesday for Captain Stricker. We know the six that are automatic qualifiers. Morikawa, uh, DJ, Bryson, Brooksy, JT, Cantley. To me, this American squad is set. Well, I've said it now for a few weeks. Finau at seven, he's getting picked. Xander at eight, he's getting picked. Jordan Spieth at nine, he's getting picked. Harris English won twice. How could you not pick him? Patrick Reed, he looks healthy. Had a pretty solid week. Um, minus two so he wasn't great um, overall but still playing decent enough golf he's going to be ready to go and he shows up and shines out if you're not going to take Reed or English you've really got yourself two picks here and to me it's coming down to um, a, a couple different options I I, I I can always tend to look past Berger here I still think Webby Simpson's the, the pick to take I think he's just got the ability to play with everybody um You've also got Scotty Scheffler, and if you if you're not going to take English or Reed, and you're going to give yourself kind of two open picks, I think you've got to look at 17, 18, or 19, and it's three guys that can absolutely put the lights out, and it's three guys that played absolutely phenomenal. 
Um, and that is uh, Billy Horschel, Kevin Kisner. Uh, he didn't obviously uh, play at uh, in, in the finals here, but he played phenomenal throughout the year, and he can putt phenomenally. So that's Horschel, Kisner, and Kevin Na, who had a great week at, at East Lake, made one bogey all week. So to me, those are my opinion. Excited to see what Captain Stricker and his assistants do. Philly Mick will be there now, we know, as an assistant captain, so you can eliminate him off that pick list at 20. So it'll be real exciting. And the European squad finishes up their play-in at the BMW Championship at Wentworth and their season as well. So, And their picks will be to follow that. We'll talk more next week about that as well. And one final shout-out to the most, probably most important thing and near and dear to all of our hearts is the finish to the 2021 season for Golf Canada and Canadian golf folks. Adam Svensson, Taylor Pendrith, Michael Gligeth. We've got nine PGA Tour Canadians for the 2022 season. How can you not be more excited? Golf Canada, Derek Ingram, hell of a job. We're looking to have him on as well, uh, the the um, head coach of Golf Canada, and works directly with some of these big names. Uh, Corey Connors, who was, uh, to me, the golfer of the year in Canada. So I'm excited, excited for the Ryder Cup, excited for some of our golf guests as we move forward here on the podcast, folks. So keep with us. We're going to get a little bit more heavy um, golf and a little bit more of an even split here from NFL once we settle into this NFL season. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you're following us along on all the social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Triple G. Enjoy the NFL season. We're looking forward to it. We'll catch you on the flip side next week. And thanks for tuning in and have a good week. Enjoy a little Triple G. Thank you.